last October, Lorna and I were in Portugal uh, for Sue and Thistle's wedding. Many of you all know Sue from the Christmas shoebox appeal. She's the, the woman who started that ministry in this county. And after the wedding ser- service, the celebration was held in this very fancy uh, hotel. It looks kind of fancy on the screen, but it was even more fancy when you actually got there. It was right on the seafront, very nice location. And when we arrived, they served us canopies, which is little, little tiny bits of food, very posh-like. You just put them in your mouth and that's it gone. I don't know what the point is, but it's very nice. Uh, then for the meal, it was a kind of buffet style. So for starters, there were loads of seafood and salads and fruit all arranged around this ice sculpture. Uh, unfortunately, Lauren and I were so busy looking for the food that we didn't even notice the, the fancy ice sculpture right in the middle of the table. And then there was a whole range of main courses. Steak and chicken and John Dory and monkfish and pasta and all sorts of vegetables and potatoes. And then this was all finished off with a dessert with a whole variety of different cakes to choose from. And you could just have as much as you want. Eat all you want. It was an incredible meal. And Sue and Thistle were the most attentive of hosts, going around the tables, making sure that everybody was happy and everybody got everything that they needed. But could you imagine if Lauren and I went home that night hungry because we didn't go up and get enough food? Maybe just a few lettuce leaves and a couple of potatoes and that's it. Now that didn't happen, you know, but it could have. And just for a minute that it did. If we had done that, then we would have missed out on a beautiful meal. But I think more than that, I would imagine that Sue and Thistle would have been really disappointed. Maybe even dishonoured by that. Because they went to great lengths, great efforts and great expense, I would imagine, in providing this incredible meal. This celebration of their wedding. And we didn't receive it. We didn't benefit from it. We didn't enjoy it to the full. If we did that, then they would have been disappointed and dishonoured by it. And I think that's the same with God. Over the past few weeks in Hebrews, we've seen that through Christ, God has provided everything that we need to be right with Him. Through the cross, Jesus has done what the old covenant, with all of its priests and his temple and its animal sacrifices, could never do. But wouldn't it be tragic if we didn't enjoy that? If we fail to take advantage of all that Jesus has done for us and step into the joy and the freedom of that salvation we just weren't delighting in our new covenant relationship with God. It wouldn't just be that we would be missing out. I think it would also be dishonouring to the one who paid such a high price to give us this privilege. And so in this letter, the writer went on to teach us how we should respond to all that we have in Christ. To all that Jesus has done for us. How we should enjoy the benefits of this better 
confidence that we have in Christ. So we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 25, sorry, verse 19 to 25, and Jason's going to come and he's going to read for us this morning. Thank you, Jason. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up to us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you very much, Jason. This passage, it forms a kind of bridge in this letter. It sums up what has come before, what the writer has laid out in detail about what Jesus has accomplished for us. And it launches into the final section of this letter uh, that focuses on the implications of what Jesus has done. How we should live in the light of everything that we've just been taught. And it does this by giving us three exhortations, three appeals about how we should live. But before that, it lays out two foundations of these for these exhortations. So we've got three exhortations, but before that there are two foundations. And these two foundations are about our confidence that we can have in Christ. The first foundation is that our confidence in Christ has provided a new way to God. We have, verse 19, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. As we've talked about before, that most holy place was the inner room in the temple. It was separated from the other room by a thick curtain. And only the high priest was allowed to go into that inner room. And he could only do that once a year. And only with the blood of a sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of the people. And this was all a powerful declaration that the old covenant only provided limited and restricted access to God. But Jesus changed all of that. Today, we can do what the nation of Israel, under the old covenant, could never do. We can enter into the most holy place. And that doesn't just mean uh, an inner room in an earthly sanctuary. And said, we can enter into heaven itself. Right into the very throne room of God. Chapter 4, verse 26 says, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
That idea of confidence means without guilt, without any shame for our sins. Without fear or without any terror of condemnation or rejection. Without having to argue or bargain our way in. We can come boldly. We can come freely. We can come with assurance that we are welcomed. That we are accepted into God's presence. So why is that? Why can we come into God's presence like that? Well, verse 20, become, it's because we come by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain. We don't come in the old covenant way of, law, of the law with its rules and its regulations and its restrictions. And we don't come in the dead way of thousands of animals, animals uh, ritually sacrificed. Instead, we come through a new and living way. Opened up for us through Jesus, our living Saviour. He is the one who has unlocked this way to God. We come, as it says in verse 19 and 20, by the blood of Jesus, by His body. As I've remembered in our communion time this morning, this way to God has been opened up for us through Jesus' body broken for us under the weight of our sin and His blood shed for us to wash us clean in God's sight. And this open way into God's presence was so powerfully symbolized and declared for us the moment that Jesus died on the cross. Matthew 27 tells us that at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in, eh, from top to bottom. It's torn in two from top to bottom. It showed that Jesus has done what no other human being could do. He'd opened up the way to God so that if we have trusted in Him, if we have put our trust in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, then we can come boldly, freely, confidently into God's presence. Because we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. that's not all that we have in Christ. We don't just have a new way to God. We also have a new representative before God. Verse 21, we have a great priest over the house of God. As I've seen in other chapters in this, this letter, Jesus is our great high priest. Not like those in the old covenant who only ministered for a short time until they died. But Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And it's that truth that gives us continued confidence that nothing ever can separate us from the love of God. Because He is able to save us completely. Those who come to God through Him. Because He always lives to intercede for us. Jesus didn't just go to the cross for us. 
He also rose again and ascended into heaven for us. And we can be sure that He is always there for us. Always interceding for us. So we can be sure that we'll always be held in His hand. We'll forever be dressed in His righteousness. We'll forever be adopted into His family. We'll forever be enveloped in His love. This is the confidence that we can have in Christ. Through His death and His resurrection and His ascension, we have a new way to God and a new representative before God. And if we have trusted in Jesus, then this is our present possession. But it's also our guaranteed future. And this should change how we live. This confidence should transform our lives. Well, how does it do that? There are the two foundations. What are the three exhortations? Well, first of all, it means that we should come close. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Many of the Psalms, they talk about a a longing, a, a thirst for God's presence, a deep desire to be in the temple. For example, Psalm 84 says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And it goes on to say, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. This longing, this deep desire to be in God's presence. But the psalmists, the people who wrote those beautiful songs, they never had the privilege that we have. They were just coming to an earthly sanctuary. They had to keep their distance. They had to depend on the high priest to go into that inner room, into God's intimate presence for them. So if that's how they expressed their longing for, to draw near to God, how much more should we have that longing to come close? Because we have that confidence to enter the most intimate presence of God through a new and living way. Why would we want to stay away? Why would we want to keep our distance? Why would we not want to come close to God and experience the incredible blessing of His presence? 
But sadly, often we allow things to get in the way of coming close to God, don't we? We lose sight of the joy of knowing God. We allow the the pleasures or the demands of this world. We let them take priority in our lives. We allow guilt and shame to get in the way. And so we miss out on God's presence. We miss out on the love that He wants to overwhelm us with. The peace He wants to surround us with. The joy He wants to fill us with. We miss out on what God has provided through Christ. But it doesn't need to be like that. Because we can overcome those barriers. If we draw near to God, verse 22, with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It's faith that enables us to have that sincere heart, that wholehearted desire for God. It's when we believe that He is the answer to our deepest needs. That our relationship with Him is the only one that can satisfy our hearts. It's when we have faith in Him that we can see through the deception of the evil one. And the things that He uses or tries to use to draw us away from seeking God. And it's by faith that we are assured that the blood of Jesus has fully cleansed us inside and out. That's what that verse says. How our conscience, our guilty conscience has been fully dealt with and the stain of sin has been washed away. It's faith in Jesus that tells us that assures us of that. And so if we have faith, then we will want to come close to God. And we won't let those things stop us from coming close to God. That of course means that we will want to gather together like we're doing this morning as a church together. Or like what we did last night as a prayer and prayer night. Or maybe on, on, a, on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Tuesday when we gather for our small groups or for our our prayer meeting. We'll think about that in a couple of minutes. But if we have that faith, we'll also realize that we don't need to wait for next Sunday or for Wednesday or Thursday to experience God's presence. Because we'll want to take full advantage of our access, our free and complete access to God anytime anywhere. So that means that we'll want to set time aside each day to, as Jesus said, to go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. 
We want to take time out of each day to listen to God through His Word and to talk to Him through prayer. Because we just delight in in seeking God's presence. Just because we, we long to come close to Him. But it will mean more than that even. It will also mean that we'll want to live every day in the constant aspect, this constant attitude of seeking God's presence. Or as, or as the Apostle Paul put it, to pray continually. Of course, that doesn't mean that we're, we're sitting and we're just praying all day, every day. None of us can do that. But I think it means to live intentionally, to share each day with Him. To live continually in God's presence. To keep the conversation with God open all the time. And just live each day in the knowledge of that God is with us. And we're living with Him. We're working with Him. We're, we're looking after our kids with Him. We're going to our, our place of occupation with Him. We're, we're dealing with problems with Him. We're relaxing with Him. Whatever it is we're doing in that day. We're doing it in God's presence. That's our privilege, folks. That's our gift. And it came to us at such a great cost. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to be a child of God with open access to God And yet live like an orphan. Live far from Him. So first of all, we need to come close to God in faith. Secondly, we need to cling tightly. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. As you might remember, some of the original readers of this letter were really struggling to keep going in their Christian lives. Some of them were being tempted to turn back, turn back to the religion that they'd come from. But that didn't make any sense, considering the confidence that they had in Christ. He had given them what they could never have in that old covenant. And so instead, they they had to hold on. Cling tightly. And not let go, no matter what happened in their lives. No matter how hard things got. No matter how difficult they became. And that was because of the hope that they had. However difficult things were right now, they would pale into insignificance compared with with what was coming. We've seen that mentioned right throughout the book of of Hebrews. For example, chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus is bringing many sons to glory. So if we've trusted in Him, chapter 3, we share in the heavenly calling. And Christ will appear... A second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Chapter 9, verse 28. 
This is the hope we have. And we can be sure of all of this because He who promised is faithful. Because of what Jesus has done, our hope is certain. It's not wishful thinking. It's not fragile and susceptible to the struggles or the suffering that we go through in our lives. This hope, as we saw in chapter 6, is an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. So this is the future for all of us who have trusted in Jesus. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. So it would make no sense at all to give up now. Because things are difficult. Think about it in this way. Imagine you are travelling by car to a town to collect a guaranteed inheritance of a billion euro. Just imagine. And when you are a mile away, your car breaks down. What would you do? Would you just give up? Would you just give up and sit by the side of the road, complain about your broken down car? Or would you just get up and run the rest of the way, filled with the joy of what was ahead? Why would you complain about a car broken down when you've got a billion euro coming as an inheritance? In a similar way, in an even greater way. Our confidence in Christ means that we can hold on to the hope of our glory. Because our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Let's hold on to the hope that we profess unswervingly no matter what happens because glory is coming so we need to come close in faith cling tightly to our hope but we can't do this on our own so lastly we need to consider The promise of the new covenant is this. Chapter 8, verse 11. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so if we put our faith in Jesus, then we become part of the people of God. We've become the new covenant community. And we're called to live as part of that community. So we need others. And they need us. So verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. On our own, our enthusiasm will dwindle. On our own, our passions will grow cold. On our own, we'll get tired and discouraged. 
So we need to come alongside each other and inspire and motivate each other. And our goal in all of this is that we will express real, genuine, active love. Love for God and love for each other in everything that we do and everything that we say. That's God's goal for each one of us in our lives. And that's the only reasonable response to all that God has done in our lives. As John wrote in his letter, we love because he first loved us. How do we do that? How do we spur one another on towards love and good deeds? One of the first things we, we need to do is we need to meet together. Verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Some people have a habit of giving up going to church. Giving up being part of a church. They get distracted. Or they get hurt. Or they get bored. And so they stop coming. Or they just come down again. I think we can understand why that that could be the case. I think we can recognize that any of us could fall into that. But if we really grasp that we really are God's new covenant people, then we'll want to meet together. If we really understood how amazing it is to be the people of God, because we've been transformed from being outside of God's community to being inside, right at the heart of it, as children of God. That we used to be enemies of God, and now we are His family. We used to be part of the kingdom of darkness, and now we're part of the kingdom of the, of the Son of God. And we'll want to be here. We'll want to be together to celebrate God's goodness, to worship His Son, to grow in His grace. To encourage each other to keep on going. And don't give up. And the writer in this verse says that we should do this increasingly. That it's increasingly necessary to do that as the day of Jesus' return gets closer. Of course, I have no idea when that will be. Neither do you. If you do, you're deluded. I can tell you that from the Bible, okay? None of us know when Jesus is going to come back. But there's something we do know, isn't there? That Jesus' return is nearly 2,000 years nearer than it was when this writer wrote his letter. So if meeting together was really important, then, this verse is saying, it's all the more important now. We need to keep meeting together. We need to deepen our commitment to each other. We need to grow in our relationships with each other. So we can more effectively encourage one another 
to live in the joy of all that Jesus has done for us. Today, if we've put our faith in Jesus, we have such an amazing confidence in Christ. He has opened up the way for us. A new way to God. And He is ever living to represent us before God. So let's not miss out on what Jesus has done for us. Instead, let's come close in faith. Let's cling tightly to our hope. And let's consider others in love. And if we do this, then we will honour the one who loved us and who gave himself for us.